So if you've been coming for a few weeks now, you know that we have been digging into the book of Mark, um, and we're in week four today. Uh, what we're doing with this series is we're really, we're taking our time going through it. We're really digging in, in deep. We, we want to really pull everything out of it that we can as we're going through it, uh, because really there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ground to cover in what is the shortest of the four Gospels. Mark is the shortest. We shared in the week one intro that really this is the fastest moving gospel. In fact, a lot of us come to know it as the action gospel because it's just, it's moving from one action to the next to the next. There's, there's less of Jesus' teachings in this gospel and more about what he's doing, the things that he's doing, the ministry that work that he's doing. See, and, and the thing is with, with Mark's gospel, his primary purpose is to share, to share Jesus' universal call uh, to discipleship, which is one of the things that I love about this book because discipleship, we believe strongly here at Alpine Church in discipleship. We call it mentoring. Um, but it's, it's not just for the original apostles, okay? And that's, that's really what Mark gets at in this. It's not just for the original apostles. It's not even just for pastors and church leaders. It's a call for everyone who follows Jesus, who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. Discipleship is a call to all of us. Now, I know when we talk about this that there are plenty of you out there, and I've been in that boat myself, where you think, I'm not really qualified. I'm not qualified to help somebody else pursue God. I've been there myself. But the beautiful thing about how Jesus works, is that Jesus' plan to spread the good news of God's kingdom is to enlist and equip ordinary people to work with him. You're right, none of us really are qualified. But he does equip us. He does qualify us. Okay? You notice, you're going to notice as we, as we dig into the gospel today, um, that Jesus, he didn't go to the great religious leaders of his time, the religious experts, the scriptural scholars, okay? He called simple people because that's how God's kingdom actually works. So today we're going to learn about the upside-down kingdom. This is how God's kingdom work. it's, it works. It's completely different than the kingdoms we think of, the worldly kingdoms we think of. We're going to be, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, uh, camping out in verses 14 to 20 today. Okay, so that, like I said, this God's kingdom, it's, it's the opposite of the worldly way kingdoms work. Um, and it's going to, as, as Jesus goes out and starts to talk about it, to share about the kingdom of God, it's going to confuse a lot of people. Okay, a lot of people who thought that the Messiah, even if they believe Jesus is the Messiah, they're going to be confused because they think that the Messiah would come to free Israel to reestablish and restore the the great earthly kingdom that Israel had once had. That's what people believed. That's what many people believed. Um, so it's going to be confusing to a lot of people, like I said. So let's go ahead and read these, these verses real quick. Um, like I said, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. It says, Later on, after John was arrested, uh, John the Baptist, that is, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. 
Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. And they... And I've obviously got it twice in there. Left their nets at once and followed him a little farther up the shore. Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat, repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. See, Jesus is going to begin, he's going to begin his ministry with a call to repent and believe in the gospel. And that's what we read in the first couple of verses here. Okay, Jesus is actually, he's going to begin his ministry, it says, in Galilee. Now, it seems that Galilee seems to have some significance here. It's the area that Jesus was from, okay? Um, and and if, if you recall, it's the place where he performed his first miracle, where at the wedding feast, he turns water into wine. If you guys recall that story. That happened in Galilee as well. And it's also the base camp for Herod, the, the, the ruler who governed there during the time of Jesus. So what better place to come and announce the kingdom of God, right? Now, he says the kingdom of God is near. Hey, what is the kingdom of God? We're going to see that as we, as we read through the gospel of Mark here, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God a lot. Uh, all throughout his ministry, and a lot of times he's using like parables and illustrations to describe it. Because the reason for that is that the kingdom of God is so, like we talked about, it's so foreign. It's so foreign um, to the kingdoms that we think about in this world. Okay? Now, anyone who knows history knows the old adage that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? Have you heard that before? Um, and really, we should be grateful that we live in a time and an area of the world that understands the importance of limiting human authority. Because anyone who knows the gospel, who knows the good news, knows the bad news that precedes it, right? The bad news is that we are all sinful and broken, including anybody that we would put in any sort of uh, position of authority, okay? And because of that, humans were never meant to hold ultimate authority. The nation of Israel actually uh, rejected the kingship of God. God wanted to be their king when he, when he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He wanted to be their king. You know, after he, after he delivers them, they're in the promised land. They're actually, they're ruled over by judges for many, many years, okay? And judges, they were, they were the, the ruling authorities, but under the authority of God as king. But the people, they eventually demanded to be appointed an earthly king, to be like all the other nations around them. See, Samuel, he was a judge at the time, and his, his sons would be judges after him. That's how it worked. And, and while he was obedient to God, his sons were not, and the people knew that. So if we read in 1 Samuel here, in chapter 8, the people are saying, look, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. 
Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. See, they rejected God's rule over them. They were a nation that had God as king, but that wasn't enough. So God actually, he has Samuel warn them about what it would look like to be ruled over by a human king. So Samuel tells them, this is how a king will reign over you. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be his generals, some will be generals and captains in his army, some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops, and some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you, force them to cook and bake, and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. How much does this sound like kingdoms and governments today? Imagine, imagine if we had a nation that actually put God as our ruler. Now, if the kingdom of God is near when Jesus appears, if he's coming and saying the kingdom of God is near, does that mean that God did not fully rule over his creation during this time? Is that what he was saying? No, he's not saying that. God always has full authority over all of his creation. But his fully recognized kingdom that he wants to establish was intended to include mankind working as his stewards, working under him to rule over creation. But rather than submitting to God's authority and being his stewards here in this world, it started clear back in Genesis when Adam and Eve, they they rebelled as well. They They made the decision to reject God's rule and authority as well. They wanted to be Lord of their own lives, much like we do today. We still struggle with that because we're all rebels. We've all chosen our, 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 our own way instead of God's way. And I don't know about you, but I spent most of my life uh, wanting to be in charge of my own life. I wanted to be, I wanted to be Lord of my own life. Uh, I never wanted to submit to the kingship of God. I wanted nothing to do with that. And that really is the most, that's the most destructive trait of our sin nature is that pride. It does more to prevent us from living that God-honoring, fulfilling, and purposeful life that, that God has laid out for us than anything else. Pride does. Have you noticed today how lost people seem to be. Without the authority of God in their lives, there's rampant depression and mental illness, a complete lack of morality, lack of morality and justice. Hatred and selfishness seem to rule rule the day, don't they? That's where a society rejecting the authority of God finds itself. That's exactly where. But God... Even despite all that, even, even us taking him off, trying to push him off the throne and put ourselves on the throne, he didn't, he didn't want to keep us out of his kingdom. 
No matter how much we rebelled, no matter how much we, we uh, were enemies of his, instead he chose to rescue, rescue us from being eternally cast out. And that's what we see in the Gospels. We see that he sent his son Jesus to bridge that gap between us. Jesus, you can look at him kind of as the, the drawbridge that, that leads us back into God's castle, into his kingdom. Because God still wants us to be a part of his kingdom, despite our rejection and rebellion. In fact, he still wants to rule through us, to use people like you and me to expand his kingdom. That is something that I love about his plan, that Jesus enlists ordinary people to follow him. If we look back at 16 and 17 and we, we read about him calling Simon and Andrew, right, and the, the sons of Zebedee, right, James and John, these, are, these guys are fishermen, these are normal people. Jesus' disciples were not elite, not the religious experts, not scripture scholars. They were ordinary fishermen and a tax collector. A tax collector was, uh, they were people considered absolute outcasts in their society. And the rest of the, the apostles, others, we, we don't even know what their occupations were, but if it wasn't mentioned, it obviously wasn't, wasn't all that um, exceptional. Obviously, obviously these apostles, the disciples that Jesus called, they really had nothing to bring to the table when it came to the ministry that Jesus began. They had nothing to bring. But these are the type of people that God wants. These people who have nothing to bring. Those that know they have nothing to offer, but are willing to let God use them however he will. That's what he wants. Jesus wants those who are submissive like a child. He says in Luke 18, 17, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never inherit it. What does he mean here? What are the attributes of a, of a young child? They're, they're trusting. They have faith, right? And most importantly, children are humble. They know how dependent they are. Obviously the opposite of what we see in teenagers, right? I can say that because I was one of the worst teenagers. But this is the attitude that Jesus desires in his followers. Those that truly understand they have nothing to bring to the table. But are humble and grateful that he would choose to work through them. Now, uh, Pastor Dean, he's one of our teaching pastors. A lot of you have probably seen him. He's preached here a few times. He actually... Uh, emailed me earlier this week. He was asking what my occupation was before coming on to staff at Alpine Church uh, because he was asking, you know, all the pastors because his goal was to share how God continues to use ordinary people today. And we see it here in our church. Mo see, most of the pastors that we have on staff um, are not scripture st scholars or even seminary graduates. Some are, but most aren't. Um, most are just normal men who had typical careers. But at some point, God called each one of us into ministry. For me, I, I personally had no plan to ever be a pastor. That was not something that ever interested me at all, at all. Uh, but it started with God rescuing me from a life of addiction. Um, 
I was a prideful, selfish man wanting nothing to do with God, wanting nothing to do with following Christ. But through his grace, he broke me. He broke that pride. He broke it down. Um, and I saw how lost I was in my need for him. And, and through that, through that experience, he put new desires in my heart to reach others who were lost like I was. And so as I um, grew in that, I got involved in our recovery ministry. I read and I studied the Bible and I went through Christian ministry training that we offer, an online um, CB matrix that we like to use for a lot of, a lot of people. Um, but I was amazed that God would use someone as messed up and lost as I was. And so when our pastor here at this camp is actually moved on and there was a hole need, needing to be filled, I was asked to step in. Crazy as that was. But I've never experienced greater blessing um, than I have stepping into this role. And really the only reason this campus is, is here, um, <clears throat> excuse me, isn't because of me. Um, it's because of him. And, and honestly, it's a lot to do with the leadership team and and volunteers um, who haven't just carried this campus, but have carried me personally. And I couldn't be more grateful. And if God can use a fool like me to lead a church campus, he can use you for much greater things. I can tell you that much. <laughs> See, God shows us just how great he is by using the weakest and foolish of us for his purposes. Because it's all for his glory. He wants to be glorified in this. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26, starting in 26. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, the few of you who were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. But following Jesus isn't all cupcakes and rainbows, even when we make that decision. A lot of times... A lot of times it takes sacrificing the things of this world. See, following Jesus means surrendering to his rule in our lives. This involves leaving your nets and getting on board with his mission. And we see that's what these guys did, right? In verse 18, they left their nets at once, followed him. In verse 20, he called them at once. They also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. See, this right here, this is the biggest stumbling block to us today. Most of us in this place, this time in history, this area of the world, we live such comfortable lives. And the more comfortable lives are, it seems, the more difficult it is to surrender those lives over to God. In fact, in Matthew, we read about this this rich man who comes to Jesus and he asks him, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus tells him, he says, you need to follow the commandments. 
And the man says, I've done all that. I've checked all those boxes, he says. So here's what Jesus tells him. He says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. This guy, he couldn't let go. He couldn't let go of all his possessions. He couldn't let go of the comfortable life that he led. And it's, it's difficult for us today, too. See, Jesus calls us to have an eternal perspective rather than a temporal one. Store up your treasures in heaven, he says. He wants us to sacrifice the comforts of this life for the greater glory of the next one. Later on in Mark, we read Jesus, he then calling to the crowd, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Much of the sacrifice involves putting ourselves last. That's the hardest part of it, really, because we, we just struggle. We struggle with selfishness. We struggle with pride. But Jesus was the ultimate example. He lowered himself to a state of servanthood to show us what this means. I mean, he, he, he lowered himself um, to join and expand his kingdom. He, he calls us to do the same thing, okay, to put ourselves last. In Mark, later on in Mark again, we see Jesus, you know that those recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. This is Jesus talking. And their great ones exercised dominion over them. But it is not so among you. Rather, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first will be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I would ask you, if you are a follower of Christ, ask yourself today, where, where am I holding back from surrendering my life to you, Lord? Where am I holding back from helping you to grow your kingdom? And if you haven't, if you are still on the fence about it, maybe you're still investigating, maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, I would challenge you to keep going. Keep seeking truth because he promises he'll reveal it to you. In Jeremiah 29, 13, God makes this promise. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Wholeheartedly, you will. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we are reading your word today and we are seeing these men who stepped out in faith, having nothing to offer, nothing to bring to the table, um, that, Lord, this would, this would be an example to us, that it would inspire us, especially as we continue reading in the gospel here of Mark, that, that these were really ordinary men. And even following you, they struggled. 
They struggled to understand. They struggled to comprehend it all. These were not the smartest men. They were not the, the bravest. They were not anything exceptional, Lord, but you made them exceptional. You did that. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray that this would be encouraging to us today. Maybe any of us sitting here today who feel that they have nothing to bring to the table. We are so unqualified to help lead another person in their pursuit of you. Lord, you don't call the qualified, you qualify the called. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for those who do step out in faith today that, that continue to let you use them. We, we thank you for those people. And Lord, those who are still struggling, I pray that you would strengthen their hearts, that you would uh, really reveal to them that your spirit is the one who really leads people to you, that we are just vessels. And Lord, for those who don't know you yet, I pray that you would soften their hearts, that you would give them that drive to really learn truth. Because, Lord, we know that you have given us truth, a truth that changes everything. It changes the way we live our lives, the way we look at this world and the people in it, the perspective that we have that becomes an internal perspective instead of an earthly, temporal one. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our lives, for those who have put our faith in you, the changes that we've seen, the new desires that you put in our hearts that were not there before. Lord, we thank you for that. We love you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.